Little Britches by Ralph Moody. We're on Chapter 14, The Irrigation Fight. This was published in 1950 by University of Nebraska Press. Lord God, you are uh, the God who formed and created the earth, uh, who before the earth was ever founded, uh, set apart your decision, your purposes, and your plans. And so... Uh, as we rejoice to know that you are God and, and we can live under your care, I pray that uh, we would learn to trust and rest in your providence, in your uh, direction every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the irrigation fight broke out soon after we got our cows. <clears throat> July was hot, the creek was low, and there was only half a head of water coming through the ditch. It started at the gorge where Bear Creek came out of the mountains. And each ranch, all the way down, had rights to so many running square inches of water. Some of it soaked into the ground as it moved along, and some was drawn up by the sun. But, unless the creek was very low, there was enough for everyone to take his full measure. Each ranch had its own ditch box. They were wooden chutes that the whole body of water passed through, and each chute had a spillway with a gate to let out the full measure of the rancher's water right. There were gauge marks on the boxes, and, when the ditch was running less than full... Each man was supposed to set his gate so that it would take only his share. There were water hogs near the head of the ditch. They were men who would take their full measure of water, and more, too, when the creek was low and crops were burning up. There had been a feud between the ranchers at the head and tail of the ditch ever since it was built. The first that I knew much about it was one night when Fred Altman came down to talk to Father. <clears throat> they had a deal where Fred used all the water for both ranches, 20 days, and then we had it for one. Fred came the evening before our day to have the water. Our oat field was so dry that Father was afraid the kernels wouldn't fill unless the ground got a good soaking right away, and the leaves on our peas and beans were curled up and withering. The vegetables from Mother's garden were little and scrawny. I knew there was something the matter when I saw Fred coming down the wagon road. He always drove his tall bays as fast as they could trot, but that night they were just moping along. A cloud of dust was rising from the wheels of the buckboard that looked like white smoke from a bonfire, and Fred was hunched over with his elbows resting on his knees. Father and I went out to meet him as he came into the yard, and he looked terrible. One of his eyes was swollen and black, and there was dry blood around his mouth and nose. I started to ask him what the matter was, but Father laid his hand on my shoulder, so we just waited for Fred to talk first. After a minute or two, he looked up at Father and said, Charlie... I'm afraid I've started something I'm not big enough to finish. For the last three days, there hasn't been more than a trickle of water coming through the ditch as far as my place. Jerry Alder, Old Man Wright, and I went up this morning to have a look. Hardesty and Hawkins, both, had their sluice gates wide open and were taking double their full measure. Cool had his gate wide open and had made a cut in the bank where the ditch is built up at the back of his alfalfa field. He tried to tell me it was a natural break and he didn't know it was there. But there were shovel marks in the bank. The cut's filled in now, or it was when I left there. Fred didn't say anything for a minute or two, and Father said, Isn't there any courts you can appeal to? Fred squirted a line of tobacco juice down between the off-horse's he heels and kept looking at the place where he had spit. After a while, he said, Yep, we could haul him into court, and every one of them would lie like hell and say they never took more than the water that goes with their land, would be their word against ours, and we wouldn't have a snowball's chance. Father said, Can't you take enough witnesses up there to see what they're doing and outweigh their testimony in court? 
Fred spit between the other horse's heels and said, Yep, but they've all got their land posted and we couldn't see what they're doing without getting on their land. They'd get us as bad for trespass as we could get them for stealing water. Father said, Isn't there a way of proving how much water passes through the ditch at their upper boundary and how much they let pass beyond them? Fred seemed to be thinking about it for a minute. Then he looked up at Father and said, Look, Charlie, this is how it goes for you and me. The water goes with the land. Your deed says you're entitled to so many inches of water, or such proportion of same as may be made as may be available. There's nothing that says whether that means available at the head of the ditch or available at your own sluice gate. It's been fought ever since there were courts and ditches, and there were rulings both ways. Every one of us knows would every one of us would break himself as he tried to fight it clear through the courts. And besides, if we'd get a high court ruling that it meant available at our own sluice boxes, these ranches at the end of the ditch wouldn't be worth an acre. There's only one way to do it. We've got to take the law into our own hands and fight the water through the ditch. And I'm going to start tonight. Father didn't like to be around didn't like me to be around when men were swearing. And Fred looked mad enough to begin any minute. But before he did, Father sent me to get our cows. They were picking it out on the prairie near the railroad track. During supper, Father hardly said a word. Mother didn't eat much and kept biting her lip the way she always did when she was nervous. Father always milked the Holstein, and I milked the Brindle. While we were milking that night, I asked him if he was going to do anything about the water. He didn't answer me for a while. Then he said, Son... There are times a man has to do things he doesn't like to in order to protect his family. He didn't say any more, and I didn't think I ought to ask him. Something woke me in the, in the night. It must have been after midnight, moonset, because it was dark as pitch. I lay listening for a long time. Then I thought I heard a man's voice from over toward the railroad track. So I got up and looked out the windows. There were three little lights moving around in our oat field and two more in our bean field. They were so far away that they looked like fireflies. I thought father, father ought to know about it and went to the house to tell him. Mother was wide awake, but Father wasn't in bed with her. She told me to go right back to bed because I needed my rest and that the lights out in the field were all right. I went back to the bunkhouse, but I didn't go back to bed. I pulled my overalls on over my nightgown and tiptoed out into the darkness. I knew Father was out there somewhere with a lantern, and I wanted to see what was going on. When I was almost to our oat field, the lights all came together in one place and moved up the railroad toward Fred Altman's. I thought I heard water gurgling toward the oats or among the oats, and I went a little closer. And when I went a little closer, my foot sank ankle deep in soft mud. While I was standing there watching the lights and the lanterns grow smaller and smaller up the track, I heard the sound of half a dozen rifle shots from way off toward the west. I was worried about Father and afraid he might not be one of those men with a lantern, but be farther up the ditch where there was shooting. I wanted to run after him and tell him to come back home, but I was scared and went back to the bunkhouse. I didn't sleep another wink all night, and when it was just light enough so I could see the outline of Loretta Heights against the eastern sky, I heard Father come home and go in the kitchen door. I couldn't see him and would never have known him by his walk. His feet sounded as though they were dragging, and he had on rubber boots. I heard him take them off before he went into the house. A little later, I heard him coughing. It was that dry, hollow cough he had after the windstorm. As soon as it was light enough to see in good shape, 
I got up and got the milk buckets. I milked both cows, watered the pigs, and fed the horses before I went into breakfast. I got cramps in my hands before I got done milking the big Holstein. She gave a bucket brimful of milk, and her teats were large with little bits of holes in them. Father wasn't up when I went to work, and at breakfast, Mother wouldn't talk. She kept biting her lip, and her eyes looked as though she had been crying. I didn't see a soul around Corcoran's place when I went when I let the cows out of the corral, and there was nobody in sight when I went past Altland's. The road was all muddy where our ditch went under it. The culvert was a good big one, too. I knew, so I knew there must have been a terrible head of water come down through there during the night. I didn't see a moving thing except the cows and Fanny until Grace brought out my dinner pail. She said Father had just got up and that there was a big red lump on his forehead, and he had been coughing in his sleep all morning. Grace could usually get Mother to talk, but she hadn't been able to find out a thing. Mother made her play out in the backyard with the other youngsters all morning. I told her about the water in our oat field and the lanterns and the shooting up beyond uh, us on the ditch. I thought maybe the lump on Father's forehead was where he had been hit with a bullet, but Grace said it wasn't. She had read lots of books about wars. She liked them best of all. And she said she'd bet it was where he had been hit with a clubbed rifle. There must have been some terrible battles up the ditch those next few nights. Father would leave the house just after I went to bed and wouldn't get home till nearly daylight. He had another big lump on his cheekbone that turned black and blue. And Fred Altland and Jerry Alder and Carl Henry looked all beat up when I saw them. Jerry had his right arm in a sling. Saturday night there was a meeting at our house. Men came from all the ranches west of us, halfway to the mountains. They must have started getting there just after I went to sleep, but I woke up when the first buggy came into our yard. It was Mr. Wright. I knew his voice when Father went to help him unhitch his team, and I knew there was going to be some kind of meeting, because the first thing Mr. Wright said was, Any of the rest of the fellows here got here yet, Charlie? Besides that, Mother had put Hal out to sleep with Philip and me. Grace didn't get up till the third team came. Then she tiptoed into my room, and we peeked out under the curtain together. The men all stood around the barn and talked till Carl Henry came. He was the last one. Then they went into the house. Grace and I knew we shouldn't have done it, and that we'd get a good spanking if we got caught. But we crept out of the bunkhouse door and crawled around to the kitchen window. It was open, so we had to hunker up against the side of the house and keep real quiet. At first... Everybody was trying to talk at once, and someone said the only way they could ever keep water coming down the ditch in dry spells was to put men with high-powered rifles up on the hills and shoot uh, any out of any so-and-so that, they, that went tampering with a ditch box. Then somebody else said that that wouldn't do any good because a sheriff would get out a posse and throw them all in the hooskow. They talked and talked and talked. Some of them even shouted, but I didn't hear Father's voice till Fred Altman said, Charlie... You must have done some thinking about this, but I haven't heard you say anything. Everybody got real still then, and Father talked so low we couldn't much more than hear him. He said, Well, it seems to me that the courts are usually the best places to settle disputes if men can't get together peaceably. But in this instance, both sides are afraid of what the court's ruling might be. We've been able to fight enough water down through the ditch at night to save our crops for the moment. But that won't do in the long run, because sooner or later, somebody's going to get killed. When that happens, the matter will be settled in court, whether we like it or not. It would be my idea that we ought to sit down and try to work out our differences with the men we've been fighting. The men didn't seem to like that at all and started shouting and talking all at once. Some of them even swore, with mother right in the other room. Mr. Corcoran called the men up near the head of the ditch some awful names and said, you might as well argue with the jackasses with any one of them 
At last, Mr. Wright had to pound on the table and shout, Okay, shut up and give Charlie a chance to tell us what his idea is anyway. Father didn't start to talk again until everybody was quiet. Then he said, Those fellows up there are holding the trump cards, and they know it. I'm not too sure I wouldn't take pretty near my full measure of water if I were in their place and saw my crops dying. Drying up. I don't think they want a court fight or a fist fight or a gun fight any more than we do. But I don't think they're going to give up the, the hand without winning the odd trick. I wouldn't do it, and I don't think any of you fellows would. I'm inclined to think we'd be better off to have the assurance of a reasonable part of our share in dry time than to take the chance of not getting any and losing all our late crops. Father stopped talking as if he expected them to say he was wrong, but nobody spoke till Mr. Wright said, Go on, then Father said. I believe that if we approach them right with an agreement, that we'd settle for 80% of our proportion based on ditch head level, that we might come to terms with them. Jerry Alder and two or three of the younger fellows thought it would be better to keep on fighting uh, the water down the ditch at night, but Mr. Wright and Fred and Carl and even Mr. Corcoran thought Father's idea was best. It was right then that Mother pushed up the window in the front room, and Grace and I got scared, so we had to crawl back to the bunkhouse. In about half an hour, all the men came out and started hitching up their horses. Mr. Wright was the last one to drive away, and before he went, he called the father. You'll be at my house then, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning? Father called back. I'll be there, and went into the house and closed the door. There weren't any more fights over water that year. And when Willie Al Devote came to the pa- up to the pasture to visit me a few days later, he seemed to think Father was quite a hero. I was proud, because he said Father could fight li- uh, like crazy for a sick man, and that everybody thought he did a smart job getting the men up the ditch to agree about the water. Man, that is tough living to not have water for your crops and have to decide what to do about it. I love you. <laughs>